Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. (laughs) Okay, we're just going to start. Apologies again. Last week, we didn't post anything. Um, Lots of vacations. Oh my gosh, we actually had vacations. It's amazing. Anyway, so this is episode number... 80. And you know, do you know you're closer to 80 than you are like 40? (laughs) Okay. But you know, I was listening to this other podcast the other day and don't name it. I'm not, but they, they had all the, they had to talk about all of their sponsors. And so it went on and on. And I think there'd be a good side to getting a sponsor. Cause let's say like a snack place was our sponsor. Then we'd get like free snacks. Well, too bad you don't drink diamond one do anymore. I think the best part was is then we could just like hang out. But that's the reason we're never going to have sponsors is because then you waste time talking about it. It wouldn't be a waste. We're wasting time right now talking about talking about yeah, it. But I just I just sat there listening to the podcast. I'm like, what a waste of time. So, so anyway, if there's today, anybody out there who can do sponsorships, I don't know. No. As long as it's not like a drug company or anybody that can conflict of interest. But if you're like... Skittles, I'd be good with that. <laughs> <laughs> Skittles, this is our sponsor, Skittles. So I have a new friend in my world, and he made me try the gummy Skittles, and I was super anti it, and Ooh. I actually super love them. Really? So when you're listening, you know who you are. Screw you. Just kidding. Okay. Yeah, I've never had those. Let's move on. So we're talking today about an interesting little problem called wooden chest syndrome. Not I, really a little problem. Not a little problem. I remember Charlie Resnikoff mentioning this once long time ago. And so I don't remember this at all. And actually ever. came this actually came about because I was doing some other um, research on the uh, different The fentanyl talk. analogs which you will hear about well, shortly. They're, they're not even a fentanyl analog. They're totally separate. Okay. Well, clearly I haven't read it yet. So but that's that's a mystery. But I was doing some other research and ran across this. We need one of our buttons to do the So anyway, I I think that, yeah, so moving on. uh, You know, wooden chest syndrome is something that uh, it's really become kind of a big question mark, too. And I think in my mind, when we look at all the overdoses and how much of these might be wooden chest syndrome. Right. And we're talking especially fentanyl. And And again, I will be 100 million percent honest in saying I've never heard of this before. So I think we need to at least, have we done a fentanyl podcast? Maybe we should do a whole fentanyl podcast, know. and we will in the future, but if we haven't. Let's anyway, talk about so fentanyl. we're going to do a little quick and dirty on fentanyl because I think it's super important prior to going into this wooden chest syndrome topic. We'll, do, we'll just do it then. <laughs> okay, fentanyl, synthetic, meaning it doesn't come from the poppy, which is coming up as well on our podcast at some point, poppy Ooh, seeds. The poppy seed defense. So synthetic means it was made in a lab and it will not make you know morphine positive on a urine drug screen but it is an opioid agonist still with the affinity for the mu opioid receptor yeah and i think that um one of the things that made fentanyl really popular i think especially when we look at some of the procedures it's that rapid onset of action and the fact that it's uh, really you know it's analgesic potency is is higher than morphine so it it became very popular it's used in a lot of different procedures and half-life is similar to morphine, though, interestingly, about two to four hours. 
Potency does vary by route of administration with the greatest potency, as we'd expect, knowing that we're talking about addiction topics of IV administration. Mm. Mm. And, you know, of course, the liver is important because that's that's how it's metabolized. So I think that's just something to put in your back pocket. Make you sound smart if somebody asks the question about that. Fentanyl is metabolized in the liver to an inactive metabolite called norfentanyl. Norfentanyl, that's actually important that it's an inactive and norfentanyl is something to kind of remember. Hint, hint, it's coming up again. It takes about two minutes, also important, takes about two minutes to actually break down fentanyl to the norfentanyl. Yeah, and actually in some of the things we'll talk about in a moment, not having norfentanyl in there is kind of a clue. That's why I said hint, hint. Well, I'm just giving a foreshadow. I don't think he ever listens to a thing I say. What'd you say? Um, But I think that, uh, again, used a lot in surgical anesthesia. So it's something that that many people deal with all the time. And, of course, there's the analogs. Uh, I think probably the most most talked about, I think, really has been carfentanil. Yes, because it's used in veterinary things and yeah. has obviously caused a significant string of overdoses. It's been a bit. Well, and, you know, you can just put all kinds of different words in front of fentanyl, and that, that's all the analogs. Elf, no. car, rem, solve. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like there's all kinds Soof, of them. whatever. And a lot of them are veterinary, so... Uh, but you know, they find their way into the market. Okay. But what's really, really interesting. And I'm, I'm going to mention this only because it's, it's just interesting when you're talking about overdoses, but reason why they like fentanyl versus uh, morphine. And when it comes to anesthesia is because it actually has better amnesia, meaning they kind of forget what happened to them, which I don't even need fentanyl to forget stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Touche. We can yeah. be done talking now. Yeah. No, but I think that's important when you're talking about people who have had overdoses and we talk about it. How does that make you feel that you have this? Do you remember anything that led up to it? I mean, if they had a fentanyl overdose, they legit might not remember. And I think that's going to be important, especially as fentanyl has just become such a obviously badness in our mm. patients. But again, one of the interesting things is, is the wooden um, chest syndrome it seems to be very unique just to the fentanyl and the fentanyl analogs. Right. So uh, interestingly with, with morphine and heroin, you just don't see that. Chest wall rigidity. So what happens? They get laryngospasm, which paroxysmal laryngospasm is when your adductor muscles, basically your vocal cords, I don't care what anybody says, they're not actually called vocal cords, aren't they? Vocal folds. I learned that ENT in med school. Anyway, um, I slept through ENT. Go ahead. When you get the spasm in your vocal cords or folds and you get this chest muscle wall rigidity and you get rigidity of the diaphragm. So all the things you need to be able to breathe. So you can't breathe. Mm. And that's a problem. And it's independent of the opioid receptors. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that it, it can occur at doses of these things like fentanyl and fentanyl analogs at very low doses, although it does seem to be related to how quickly it's given. Right. Which I and think so, is interesting. I mean, it's interesting because we always, with opioids, think of the respiratory depression, which is the mu opioid receptor thingies with the opioids in the brain. So fentanyl still has that, but they also have, it has this, and it happens very quickly. Within about two minutes of IV fentanyl, you can get this wooden chest syndrome, this blockage of your, you know, vocal cords and the inability for the diaphragm which causes you to breathe to actually breathe and it lasts a while sometimes it can last well 15 minutes and what uh, what in your life lasts 15 minutes and who can hold their breath that long let's go there high mortality 
Let's do that. Okay. So in the surgical setting, again, this was made more for anesthesia. So obviously use in surgeries can, this can be treated because you're, you know, innovated. So it kind of bypasses that laryngospasm and you're artificially breathing for a person. And so they're okay. But how does it actually happen, Kurt? Oh, well, it's actually a cholinergic issue. And actually a lot of this occurs because you get this activation of the cholinergic, well, and or the sympathetic innervation of the adductor muscles of those vocal cords. So it's like very quick, high dose, push, and then suddenly this happens. Right. So you get muscle spasms that block off your airway. And obviously in hospitals and in surgeries and all of that, you can give paralytics, which they do. Succinylcholine, for instance, yeah. and can I be think, used and can relax that. I think the big thing is, is that, it, again, this is not related to the respiratory depression. This is completely separate. And I think people need to remember that. Right. Okay, so we're going to back up a little bit. We're going to talk again a little bit more about the fentanyl and the fentanyl analogs. Obviously, this has gone into the street drug supply for a lot of reasons. I think, you know, especially when we're talking about COVID, is this, this does not have to be cultivated from any kind of poppy plants down in, you know, Nayarit, Mexico. See how I pulled that out of my uh, brain. Oh, man. Um, this I'm, can be made in labs. I'm so impressed. Clandestine uh, labs. And yeah. it's pretty inexpensive. Well, and that's the thing. You know, they talk about how like a kilogram of heroin costing like, I don't know, 60, 70 K and you can make these analogs and fentanyl for just a few thousand dollars. So this is the market. Right. So, you know, there's obviously things that are additives and they sometimes will add fentanyl or fentanyl analogs to cut it into heroin. Although usually, you know, we cut things in with like baking soda starch or drywall, but they can cut it into heroin, making heroin more potent and then therefore people will want more of it because regular old heroin won't suffice when they're in their withdrawal state. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because, of course, we have seen so much of the of the fake, uh, the Percocet-type medications. The, we actually, you know, talked about that a couple yeah. weeks ago. Yeah, and we've seen that, and uh, quite a bit, overdose and death. Mm-hmm. And I think that, in, you know, there was a study actually done by the DEA, and they found that about 26% of these counterfeit pills... Uh, could potentially call this fatal overdose, and they had fentanyl or fentanyl analogs in them. So, I mean, this is, you know, it's basically a one in four. And I think most of the patients that I've seen, they assume that the pills they're buying have fentanyl. Right. And it's not even just cut in with other opioids, you know, cocaine, marijuana, meth, ecstasy was in the one study we talked about. Um, and we kind of talked about this at a, a conference that actually Aaron and I did just a week ago down in, in Rice County, where... You know, we were talking about marijuana being like the gateway drug and how sometimes dealers will cut in stronger things like heroin, fentanyl to kind of, you know, make more money. So anyway, there we go. Yeah. So so it's really become the kind of the model is is you add a little bit to your product just to kind of make it sell better. And I think it's interesting when you look at the people who are looking for the fentanyl and the fentanyl analogs, it's kind of this uh, preferential user. It's the younger uh, white males, uh, they're they're looking for this particular drug, and and I have patients all the time, and they're and they've said that they're actually going to a particular person because they know that it's fentanyl. Well, it's again economic, just like we talked about a million times over when you go from oxy to heroin, it's economic. Yep. So you, you save money, you get the, just as much, you get much more potency. So it's not dumb; it's actually quite intelligent. So we're gonna. Fast forward again to, you know, this whole wooden chest syndrome. So 
as we mentioned, again, very common in surgery, anesthesiologists, this is, it happens. Um, but I mean, I'll be honest, like I've said 10 times now, it, I didn't know about this. I went through med school, but didn't know about this. And of course, the random person who's buying this on the streets potentially also doesn't know about this. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. It adds this this element of danger, right? So uh, people have no idea that's in there. And again, we're looking at how people use these these substances. And if it's a rapid injection or a fast push, uh, that's where you're going to have trouble. And you'll get that immediate cyanosis and become unconscious and that rigidity which comes on, which is, again, uh, really the issue. Well, muscle rigidity and seizure-like behavior is not common in the run-of-the-mill opioid no. overdose. And so we actually, there's a study here done on 1,581 opioid overdoses, and they found about a third of them had this atypical presentation, and that was majority of muscle rigidity. Um, they also looked at a 2015 study with 48 fentanyl-related overdoses, and 42% actually did not show the major metabolite of fentanyl, the norfentanyl. Um, they had fentanyl in their system, just not the metabolite, and this goes back to what we had. Yeah. So what that's suggesting, of course, is rapid death. Rapid death, even before yeah. the liver had that two minutes to break it down. So yeah. it's something that is not straight opioid related. Yeah, and I think that you know a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of the different studies where they asked people whether they had any knowledge of this, and I think the average uh, user on the street has no idea. Correct. Um, I think this. One study was oh. probably the one that really struck me the most is, again, back to this muscle rigidity. And so they talked to the, you know, they looked at 500 patients. And this is when they actually first realized this syndrome was maybe actually a thing. Of 500 patients who got fentanyl for surgical procedures at the correct dosing, 499 of them, so all but one, had a degree of muscle rigidity within one minute to one and a half minutes of the dose, and it persisted for about that eight to 15 minutes. Yeah, and imagine if uh, you're in a room by yourself and you're using uh, what you assume is fentanyl, this happens to you. Uh, or you assume it's heroin. Yeah, you assume it's heroin, and you're in real trouble. And they actually had another study with just 12 healthy volunteers. And, uh, <laughs> I, I can't believe people I volunteer like, for this. Like, Wait a minute. We're going to give you uh, fentanyl by continuous IV infusion. And they actually did that. Uh, and they found that muscle rigidity occurred in half of these patients uh, of the 12. So uh, really within just one to four minutes, uh, when they kind of hit that peak plasma concentration, uh, they were having significant issues that lasted uh, almost uh, 20 to 25 minutes. And again, they did not respond to positive pressure ventilation. So they didn't respond to just giving basically resuscitation breaths. You need to do the intubation tube. So this kind of alludes to what's coming up next with naloxone Narcan is that even rescue breaths don't help. You need to get past those vocal cords. Yeah, so I think that that's, uh, that's really important. And so what about naloxone? And, and again, the important thing to understand is if we give, you know, well, how many of these stories have we heard where people get three, four, five naloxone and nothing happens? Right. So how much of that is the Versus rigidity? like heroin, one dose, you're, you're like yep. wide awake. Yeah, and so you wonder how much of this uh, Narcan that's given when there's not a response, how much of that's rigidity. Right. So it's good at reversing the regular old run of the mill, but it's not good with this because it does not have any impact. Naloxone does not have any impact on the cholinergic or the noradrenergic things associated with this wooden chest syndrome. So, and it's all, 
I'm going to back up. Back so, up. <laughs> back up. I was going to jump ahead to this other part because it's super cool about the blood-brain barrier. You can talk about that. But so, again, I'm just going to say it one more time. Fentanyl doesn't not only decrease the respiratory depression thing, yes, but it also affects the the vocal cords and the and the diaphragm in a totally different mechanism. And that totally different mechanism, Narcan doesn't touch. Yeah. I'm not sure where you want me to go here, but no, I think... No, this blood-brain barrier thing. Oh. Fentanyl yeah. and naloxone cross the blood-brain barrier through the same receptors. So oh, different thing. receptors in the morphine. And so... We talked about this earlier. I, Just a little while ago, we did. Not the blood-brain barrier. Not during the podcast. We Yeah, we talked about it, but no one gets to hear it. Oh, no one was listening. <laughs> we weren't taping. Yeah, so that's really interesting that they they use that that the way that you if you can't get the Narcan into the brain is basically what's happening. Right. So you've taken a bunch of fentanyl. It's super saturated all the receptors, so the Narcan can't even get into the brain to work. Yeah, because they have the same influx transporter. So it's it's just there's not enough uh, not enough people to transport it into the brain. So that's a bummer. Yeah. So I think the you know the bottom line. You know, I think that most healthcare professionals, if we ask them about wooden chest syndrome, probably would not know outside of anesthesiology people. And I think uh, probably responders don't know. And, and people using fentanyl and fentanyl analogs probably don't know. I need a, we should call one of my college classmates. I have a lot of my college, or excuse me, med school classmates are anesthesiologists, actually. So we should call them right now. No, I, we Do should, it right on. Uh, do it online. Right no, now. it'd be really cool to actually do a whole podcast with one of them just to kind of talk to them about this. This is huge. And it seems such a bizarre thing, but this is huge. I was actually watching, you know, one of those crime TV shows the other day and the dude took some fentanyl and they didn't know it was fentanyl initially. He didn't know it was fentanyl, but he actually got that muscle rigidity slash seizure like activity. And no way. Christopher was like, what's that? my husband. He's like, but I didn't think that's what an overdose looked like. They don't have seizures. And it was the fentanyl muscle rigidity, wooden chest syndrome type. Did you tell thing. him that? Did you say, listen, that's wooden chest syndrome. I hadn't read this yet. So oh. I was like, hmm. and it took him like six Narcan. Maybe it was like a dozen cause it's TV. But anyway, this mm. is a real thing. People. All right. Well, that was a that's an interesting, uh, interesting little thing that we kind of went across, and I think it's going to be a fun thing for people to listen to. And it was relatively short. And it's cool, I think, for like students listening to this. Yeah. How smart are you going to look? Saying, yeah. "Well, excuse me, Narcan doesn't work on the anti anticholinergic, yeah, you know, stuff that fentanyl works on outside of the mu receptor." Yeah. A plus. So if you have Dr. Reznikov as a preceptor, kind of throw that one by him. Be like, he'll be like, Doctor Reznikov. Are you, you aware of wooden chest syndrome? He's like, I taught that to Heather and Kurt. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, so if anybody has any questions or suggestions or thoughts or anything you'd like to have us answer or talk about, again, email us at the Addiction Connection Podcast at gmail dot com. Otherwise, we'll let Battle Lakes take over. And thanks everyone for listening.
Empty space. And today's the day that I'm done. 